Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, my guest is Stephen Selengut, and he is the founder of the Retirement Income Coach. Welcome, Steve. Oh, good to be here, Gary. Good to be here. So, Steve, what got you, you know, you've been doing this for quite a number of years. What got you into uh, into the financial advising and, and wealth arena? Well, um, mostly I was fortunate enough to be able to start out early in life as an investor with my own money. And even though I, I didn't get into uh, managing other people's money until 1979, which really sounds like a long time ago, <laughs> um, I'd already been um, managing money for about eight years, nine years my own. And I'd had talks with people. Um, I was very fortunate. I had a broker that um, was really more focused on me than on her own commissions. In those days, there were commissions. Mm -hmm. And um, what she helped me do was really uh, learn more about stock market. And um, in the long the long run type of looking at charts to see where securities have been versus where the market has been and and to um, stick with companies of very high quality, not to take any real risks. So I developed a very risk averse approach to investing back then. And I had a conversation with a I was working for a in the pension investment department of a New York life insurance company, not New York life, but a New York life company. And I was in the pension investment department and we were traveling, I think out to Denver or someplace like that to visit a, um, a client. They had uh, defined contribution plans that they managed. And my job was with that. And I, I was using um, their portfolio as sort of a template for my own. Um, and I asked him a question. I said, why, why do you have so much Boeing stock? You have millions of dollars in Boeing. Uh, it doesn't pay a big dividend. And uh, there's so many other things. Why don't you take your profits and move along? And the guy said to me, uh, he says, well, Steve, the reason we have so much Boeing stock is because Boeing's a big insurance client of ours. And they like us to own a lot of their stock. And then that the light bulb went off. And from that point on, I played I played every round, every card, every every stock I ever owned. I said one thing. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just the investment. It's a lot of politics in there, too. And if it's up in price, it could be just because a huge company like Equitable is told that they have to own a lot of their stock. You might as well take your profits and move on to something else. From that point on, I became a trader. Um, and that's not in the, you know, the dirty word kind of day right. trading type thing. Mm -hmm. But I always set a target on a profit. And with common stocks, I set a target of 10%. And uh, with Rita helping me uh, identify dividend stocks at the time, um, 
I always found something else to invest it in. And I did the same thing. I'd buy them when they were down a little bit, as much as 10, 20%. And then I'd sell them as soon as I could make 10%. So by 1979, I was ready to say, I didn't want to work for these guys anymore. I can do my own thing. And uh, I had my dentist who was interested in a, a restaurant friend of mine out in Long Island that said, yeah, they wouldn't mind if I handled a few thousand of their dollars. I said, okay, I'm going to quit and go into business. That's basically it. Now, you continued doing this for, for a number of years and, and recently, uh, you know, sold your business. Um, can, can you tell us kind of, you know, the, the philosophy behind, you know, what, what you were doing from an investment standpoint that made you so successful? Well, uh, it's kind of that idea of quality. There, there are really four things that I use to make sure or really to um, to minimize the risk. And I call these things the four great risk minimizers. Everything has to be a quality of a certain level. In the old days, Standard & Poor's had a monthly guide that send out that, um, uh, you know, so I look for B plus or better rated dividend paying companies traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Those are my quality tests mm -hmm. and then there was then there's diversification and then there's income production i never bought a security of any kind that didn't uh pay income so i never i you know and it saved me a lot of mistakes over the years mm -hmm. if you think about it um and um and the fourth one which uh today even today most people on wall street don't even think about is profit taking like i said before i target profit everything i own in a portfolio is for sale if i can get my target profit gotcha in um you know in your book uh you talk about um income independence and the goal of that can you can you explain that to us sure sure uh, what what i mean by income independence is that you have a growing stream of income uh it grows quarterly annually and it's more than enough to pay your bills and be able to reinvest more so that you continue to grow your income so that's that's independence to me um it's enough so that if you say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go to africa on a safari like it's like i did last month you know i'm gonna start putting aside money for four or five months excess money so that i can take care of that you know so You've got enough extra, uh, unlike, um, well, we'll probably get into it later, but I'm sure you've heard of the 4% rule mm -hmm. for retirement, where um, advisors say you, you can expect to take 4% of your portfolio value every year. And uh, that's a great plan, but the execution of it for most people is we're going to sell 4% of your portfolio to give you that income. Each month, we're going to sell some stuff and give you the money. Now, we're never going to have any cash on hand because A, income is not one of our requirements for buying securities. And B, we normally get you to drip your dividends anyway. So you're just buying more of the same shares. So when it comes to the end of the month, we have to pay you the $3,500. We have to sell something. And typically what we sell are the ones that are down, not the ones that are up. We don't take profits. We 
sell the losers and uh, deplete your capital in the process, by the way, when you lose money. So that's, you know, that's the big distinction. Uh, I focus on the income. I focus on the income. I grow the income. I do, I, you know, I, I uh, invest in income focused securities themselves as well. So, so, so are you so even, that, that that with this with, with your inside a, a retirement account or even outside of a retirement account, you're trying to invest uh, your money uh, in stocks and things like that that are going to be constantly generating this income that you can pull out without reducing you know your capital basically your principal. Um, I, I think I understand the question. Um, what I'm doing. Is and I guess there are two things that changed. My original focus when we first, when I first started this in '79, was all individual, big board stocks. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, um, and I used to use individual bonds, believe it or not, individual bonds, and things called Ginnie Mae's for income, and bond unit trusts for income. And of course, I was getting principal back with each of their payments each time. But that's what I did. And then about 20 years ago, I discovered um, closed-end municipal bond funds. I had a client who wanted his whole portfolio to be municipals. And um, the trading costs associated with uh, individual bonds, they're not commissions, but they're markups. And the... Um, they're very illiquid types of securities, mm-hmm. meaning you just can't go out and say, hey, I've got this, I've got $7,000 worth of this company, this bond from, you know, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I want to sell it tomorrow. Well, you got to find a buyer. And most buyers are looking for 50000 at a time in the bond market. So if you're a small, small investor, you're really getting torn apart with a two or three percent markup on the buy-in on the sell. So when I discovered closed-end funds through uh, uh, mainly through these municipal bond closed-end funds, I mean it was wow. I mean I couldn't couldn't believe this thing. Here's a portfolio of municipal bonds, just like I used to have the portfolio of regular bonds in a unit trust or a Ginny May full of government securities. Now I can get municipal bonds literally hundreds of them all with laddered maturities and everything like that and uh, paying monthly instead of uh, semi-annually or even well semi-annually is what bonds pay and um, at yields much 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 greater than an individual bond because of the way they make their investments so i switched Mm -hmm. Um, anybody and the one guy did have municipal bonds in his portfolio and my own. And at that time, by that time, my portfolio had grown, management portfolio had grown to nearly $100 million by that time. So I had a lot of people who had tax-free income. And then after discovering that, then I discovered, well, I can also do bonds. I can also do preferred stocks. I can also do government securities. I can do any type of individual income security you can think of, mortgages, real estate, everything, um, I can do that in these managed, multi-security, um, 
funds um, that are that are actually the oldest fund type security that we can trade on the exchanges today. Hmm. They've been around longer than mutual funds, and they've been a lot wrong, maybe 130 years longer than uh, ETFs. Right. That's right. how long they've been around. And not many people know about them. I bet you if you took a show of hands right now from whoever is listening here of how many of you have ever heard of closed-end funds, there'd be a lot of hands. There wouldn't be a whole lot of hands in, in the air. Right. right. So, um, so that's, that's the dis- difference. I use different types of securities, and I focus on income. And in um, Retirement Money Secrets, the book, I – you know, I go through step by step how you select these things, how you make sure you're diversifying properly, what types of income you should expect, um, how wonderful market volatility is. How about that one? Yeah. Not many people would agree with me, but uh, you thrive on you thrive on knowing and investing if you understand that there is a market cycle and it's there. There's nothing you can do about it, and you can prepare yourself you prepare yourself in a in a high stock market or a and the same as a low interest rate market by not buying as much as you would in a down market because you know it's going to go down or interest rates are going to up go up so you want to have room to add to it and still remain diversified so you can reduce your cost basis per share and increase your income so there's a there's a lot of things going on in a managed income portfolio so you 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 mentioned the market cycle Uh, can you explain what market cycle investment management means Uh, sure Um, well understanding that there's just looking at the stock market i think most people would know that over the years well since 79 for example we've had four major meltdowns we've had the crash of 87 where it dropped 40 percent on October 19th, we had the dot-com um, bubble bursting around 2000, where the NASDAQ, you know, the over-the-counter, we used to call it the over-the-counter market, the NASDAQ uh, securities market, uh, pretty much uh, the S&Ps gained to, in, uh, in 99 through 2000, was pretty much uh, occasioned by the growth of 12 or 15 uh, um, high-tech stocks. That's what it mounted for. The actual breadth of the market during that period of time was negative. And, um, you know, so you you saw this coming, but the, 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 uh, the market always has cycles like this. It goes up and up and up, and, and it always, when it starts to, get up to an all-time high like we had on January 3rd 2022 all your all your radar has to change you know eventually this is going to stop it always has it always does so you take your profits even more aggressively um i take i try to take three profits profits a day um every day uh the last couple of days not so much but you know but you and and i did that and when you're, the, the higher the market goes, the higher that profit is to take your top three profits. It can get as high as seven and eight percent, and um, when it's at an all-time high, I probably 
go in twice a day and take three, you know, because I know, um, I know that eventually it's going to end. Eventually it's going to go back down. And I know that with closed end funds, I still have a universe of a hundred income focused, you know, they're, they're mostly bond funds and another hundred stock market based closed end funds that are paying well at the height of the market in 2021 they were all paying in the six to seven percent range that was the lowest any of them were paying today the same securities the exact same securities most of them are paying the same distribution but the distribution is now 11 percent or 12 percent because the prices have fallen so much Right. What um, you know in in your book, you also talk about um, that uh, you know that income fuels uh, the yacht and the market value uh, or realized income. I mean, can you can you go in go oh, in right. yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Uh, income fuels the ego, and right. I mean, market value fuels fuels the ego, and income fuels the yacht. It's it's a pretty good expression because, you know, um, people tend to look at their bottom line. They look at their bottom line market value and like right now they're all pulling their hair out and saying, oh, my God, what's going on and this, that and the other thing. But if they look at the income that's being generated by their portfolio, it really hasn't changed. I haven't heard of any. Uh, major company cutting or eliminating a dividend, for example. So even if your Exxon is down 25%, and I have no idea if it is or not, um, it's still paying the same income. And so um, so the idea is if, in, if Exxon goes up, back up that 25%, it's still going to be paying you the same income. You know, if it goes down 25%, you're still getting the same income. So my premise is go for the ones that give you the most income, because then when they go down and the income remains the same, at least you can pay the bills. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, because most investment programs, like we said before, the premise is you're going to sell securities each year to pay that 4% that you're going to take down your retirement portfolio each year. So if you've had, if you were 27 months ago, income portfolio, income securities um, start getting, started getting pressured by interest rate expectations. They were, the Fed was threatening to raise interest rates. They finally did. But for months before they actually did, the, the income sensitive securities were going down in price. 27 months we've had, for me, that's that's the interest rate cycle. The stock market followed it. It it uh, peaked in January third, twenty two, and it's been down itself ever since. Um, but not all the way down. It's down right right now about twelve twelve percent, ten percent. Nasdaq's down twenty percent. But that's the cycle. The cycle went from jet from the peak in January thereabouts, and now and all the way down now. It, it went down as much as 20%, I believe, but now, right now it's around 12, 10%. So all that market value was lost. So people who are 
taking from their portfolios to pay their 4% of their portfolio. First of all, 4% is less than it was. So they may have to take 5 or 6% if they want to continue the income mm-hmm. because their portfolios are not generating that kind of income. Whereas if you have an income producing portfolio, like the book explains with closed end funds, that portfolio is generating more income than you're spending. So you're reinvesting at lower prices. So every month, every quarter, your income is actually increasing. You can keep that 4% distribution. Okay. You can raise that distribution a little bit with the inflation that we've had in the last, since the, the pandemic mm-hmm. and still be spending less than you're making in distributions. I have I have a there's a a chart in the um, in the book uh, talks about working capital growth versus the drawdown analysis. Okay. And, and if you look at we're looking at a, a portfolio of ten CEFs versus SPY and the um, the bond uh, BND, which is the bond index. Okay. And you take you're saying it's a five hundred thousand portfolio, and if you're taking four percent, that's like twenty thousand or so a year. And the only one that's making more than twenty thousand a year is the closed end funds. You know, because the other ones are not made. The the spy only pays about a two uh, percent, and the bond fund actually paid almost four percent when we started. This was a uh, from 2008 to 2022, at that time, we were about the same interest rates we are now. So it was paying about 4 or 5%. So it was enough. But as interest rates fell um, during, you know, the financial crisis and, and all that time, the bonds were paying less and less and less. So it, too, was depleting capital. So when you get to the end... The closed-end funds, which were paying only even if they're paying as low as 7% and reinvesting, they're still more than doubled in this period of time where the um, SPY is down nearly a hundred, more than $100,000, and the bonds is down about $100,000 because of the depletion in capital. So, so dealing with the market cycle and dealing with the realities of interest rates and all that stuff is part of the process of protecting yourself from when the market goes down. Because you're, um, you're not investing as much at highs in what other sector is high, and you're adding to more of them or owning more of them when prices are low. And you plan this in advance. You, diversification means you, you don't want to have anything in your portfolio that it represents 5% of the portfolio in my idea in my own portfolio. It's less than 3%, for example, you know, so if you're buying in a rally, um, you might take a one, 1% position or a one and a half percent position max, because you know, when it goes down, you're going to, you and the price goes down, you're going to be able to add to it. Right. If you're right now, we're at, a 27-month correction is a pretty long correction, longer than the financial crisis was. Right. Twice 
twice what the 1987 crash was. Um, a little longer than the dot-com thing um, was. And of course, the uh, pandemic correction lasted two months. So, right. you know, so uh, it's a long time. So my thinking is right now, if you're looking at a, a type of investment, be it stocks or bonds or closed-end funds or ETFs, if you look around, you'll see that pretty much everything is down. And that's a time where you should be buying selectively. Um, more than likely, over the next, of course, we do have an election coming up, uh, which does throw a lot more uncertainty in there about what's going to happen, but still in all, rarely, rarely do we have rallies that last, or corrections that last much more, longer than this. Okay. Um, you know, in your, in your, your book, you know, you talk about um, helping people, you know, find and pick those, the different investments uh, that, that are income generating. Um, can you talk about that, you know, a little bit in, in talk, tell us more about the book and what you, you know, accomplished uh, with the book. Okay. Well, the book is really kind of an interesting format. It's like like a conversation like we're having today uh, where I, I'm talking to a couple that my wife and I meet on vacation and and they they reveal that they've had to sell, you know, significant amount of securities to pay for this vacation. Mm -hmm. And and I said, you know, and I tried to talk to them about how we fund our vacations with the income we make on our investments. And they became interested in how we do this. So we go through the preliminaries of what we almost talked about before. How do you, first of all, what type of security, all securities, you got to determine the quality of what you're buying. And, and you've got to realize that what you really want in life is to be able to have your income pay for everything, just like your employment used to do. If you can get to the point where you're making as much on your investment portfolio as you were in your salary before you retired, I mean, that's that's nirvana, right? That's right. where you would like to be. And you can do that. And you can do that if you start soon enough. I mean, you can't start at 63 and expect to have that in place by 68 unless you've got a really, really big job. Um, but, you know, but the idea is you have to identify quality securities. So the book takes you through a whole sequence of things that you look for, uh, the history of their dividend payments, whether they raise them, whether they've gone down, how stable are they, um, the volatility issue. You, you want them to be volatile, but you want them to want the price range to be consistent. We're talking about funds of securities and Funds of securities aren't going to have the trading range that an individual security does. You're not going to have a hundreds of points difference. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, there's a feature of closed-end funds that we really need to mention uh, to understand it better. These are not um, – they trade like stocks, and they're a lot like stocks in the sense when you buy a stock, you don't really know what its book value is, right? You just know what its market value is. Right. And if it's a popular company like Amazon or or Google or one of them's, it's one of them. It's likely that their market value 
is going to be a whole lot more than their actual intrinsic book value because they're popular and it's supply and demand, you know. Um, and most people buy and hold. So once they own the Microsoft, they're not going to sell it no matter what happens, you know. Right. So, um, so, so that's, that's the type of thing. Um, a closed-end fund is required, is required to pay out 95% of its earnings. So if it receives dividends from all these stocks or, or interest from all these bonds, it can't keep it and build its market value or build its stock price with more assets. It has to pay it out, 95%. That's after expenses, of course. And they, right. they uh, do have internal expenses. The investors don't ever pay those expenses. But still, that's why they have such a narrow trading range. You'll have a range in prices of these things from under $5, which I used to avoid by the plague, like the plague when I was dealing in individual securities, to you won't find many above the $30, $30 level, you know? So think about it. You could have a, a, a stock market closed-end fund owning, let's say, 250 different stocks which would include pretty much everyone you've ever heard of all the all the nasdaq all the the fang stocks you know the facebook and the all those netflix and all the the big ones and all the exxons and chevrons and eli lilly's and g all those great companies and you're getting a portfolio that contains thousands of shares of each of them and you could pay, maybe you're buying it for 15 bucks, mm -hmm. you know? So if you look at an example of, of, of professionals and advisors, and today a lot, uh, big companies, big advisors, trying to do that very same thing with what they call model portfolios. Okay. Where they'll buy, they'll have a hundred different stocks in your account. And you'll see that you have, one share of Berkshire Hathaway and two shares of this one and 16 of that and 24 of this. Um, they have a model portfolio where if Berkshire Hathaway goes up, you know, 40%, you're only making a couple hundred bucks, right. you, you know, because you don't own any of it. Whereas with the closed end funds, you own these very same securities. You own a professionally managed portfolio you you own stock in a managed trust portfolio that owns them and you have reasonable amounts. So even if it were somewhat of a model, it's not like they're, they're trying to place your, they're not creating the model out of your investment portfolio. They're doing it out of the bulk portfolio. So it's a totally different type of thing, but that's what you're getting. And the same thing you're getting on the income side with, like I said, the municipal bonds before, you're going to get three or 400 different municipal bonds in one of these closed-end funds in a laddered position. So right now, where interest rates are killing everything because they've, not because they've gone up, they're not really above normal. They've been below normal for 12 years. Mm -hmm. They're not really above normal now. It's just that we got here a 500% rise in interest rates in a year. That's what's the problem. It's hard to adjust to that. But as 
the as the securities mature in these fixed income funds, the bonds mature and they and the uh, they get their money back. That's not profit. They don't have to distribute that to their clients. That's not income. Okay, that's principal, and they can now buy securities for five percent when two years ago they couldn't buy anything for two percent. Right. So eventually, the yields on these things are the amount they pay out, the 95% of earnings is actually going to go up along with the interest rates. So, and, and as a result of that, eventually the prices will go up as well. And that's exactly what happened after the financial crisis. Uh, municipal bond closed end funds went up faster than the S and P at that time. Right. Dave, we've covered a lot of stuff, and I know. It, and I know you could go on for for hours with this. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I had? Um, let me see. We looked at models. We looked at, um, talked about it being the oldest, but we got, did cover a lot of territory. Mm -hmm. I guess what we're looking at here is is this, you know, mutual funds were established and, and the selling point of mutual funds when they first came out, that it was a way, you know, people got scared out of the market in the depression in the twenties, individual investors, particularly small investors like us, let's say, and we are small investors, even if we're talking seven figures, we're small investors right. compared to the big guys, but small investors were afraid of the stock market after the depression. So, Mutual funds came out. It was a way for the average guy to participate in the stock market without putting a lot of money into it. It was safety. It was a wide diversified portfolio. And those were the principles that sold mutual funds and made them so great. And that carried over. And that's since then it's carried over to ETFs. Well, before those things even happened, those were the principles that created closed end funds. So, and their safety, um, and their safety is doubted sometimes because uh, like a business would, like a, like a company would, um, when companies go out and they want to add value, they build another factory, they do this and that. Um, but these trusts, closed-in trusts, their job is to build income. They buy securities. And they, just like a company would borrow money to fund a building, they borrow money short-term to purchase more securities, to generate more income. And this is called leverage. And my argument in the book is that, you know, the world runs on leverage. If people didn't borrow money, companies didn't borrow money, we'd all be still uh, yeah. riding bikes to school and stuff like that, riding bikes to work and stuff. Right. So that's one of the big differences. This vehicle is unique. It's not well known. It's not used in 401ks, and it's why most people have never heard of it, because its internal expenses are too high according to SEC regulations. Because to the SEC, 2% after low expenses is better than 8% after high expenses. They just don't get it, you know? Right. So I, I guess we're looking at a security that's different, that people should learn about, and if they read... Um, retirement money secrets, uh, hopefully a light bulb will go off and they'll talk to their financial advisor and say, hey, 
Uh, I don't mind taking 4% out of my portfolio every year, but I want to make more than 4% in my portfolio every year. Right. Understood. Um, Steve, if people like what they hear, um, they want to find your book, they want to talk to you, how can they reach out to you? Um, well, uh, the book is on, at Amazon. Just Google Amazon uh, Retirement Money Secrets and it should pop right up. Uh, throughout the book, I, I give links to my Facebook group and to my website, which is called, it's simple, it's theincomecoach.net. That's that's my uh, okay. the website for that for my coaching business, okay. and um, my phone number and contact information is there also. Great. So just to recap, that um, name of the book is Retirement Money Secrets. Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, definitely a, a good read. And the IncomeCoach.net is uh, Steve's website where you can find them. Uh, Steve, I really appreciate your time today and, and your wisdom. Thank you. It was, it was good talking with you. I great, almost lost great. my voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate your time. So this week, our guest was Steve Selengut, who's the founder of the Retirement Income Coach. I will see you guys next week. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.